Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Malachi Beasley. His voice touched my soul. He is electrifying. We are going more than skin deep on this episode. He went from Guantanamo Bay to being in theater at Yale. Malachi, welcome. What got me was when you said that you went from Gitmo to drama major at Yale. Yeah. (laughs) Acting was always something that I wanted to do at a young age. I just didn't know I could do it. And my inspiration was like my little sister. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram that you had posted that your little sister was an inspiration to you. I'm super curious about that. So she demonstrated her talents first, huh? Yeah. She was doing a musical called Once Upon a Mattress, but she was just an ensemble member. She was in middle school. I just had started high school. At the time, I was playing football and she was doing musicals and came to watch the play. She didn't have a lot of lines. And I was like, wow, my people can do this thing. And it kind of sparked something. And it wasn't until my junior year when I decided to take an acting class because of how curious I was. My teacher, Mr. Gomes, whom I love and appreciate, said, hey, I think you should play Malcolm X (laughs) in this like play about Malcolm and Martin Luther. And I was like, what? No, like I'm I'm just a small actor. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to learn what this thing is. And he's like, no, you're going to play Malcolm X. So for Black History Month, played Malcolm X and fell in love with the research, fell in love with the whole process. And it wasn't until later on after my deployment that I was like, that was my first love. What am I doing? You know? (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. So I would love to learn a little bit more about what that process is. Like, did you read Malcolm X's biography? Yeah, a lot of like reading and research. But at the time, you know, Google wasn't like popping, but it was like a lot of Googling and finding out who this person was. I think Denzel had done a movie called Malcolm X with Spike Lee. And it was really just like powerful in that vein. And I was like, wow, this dude is such a complex dude. Like, I wish I can get my hair like that so that then I can show the transition. Like, I wish I had the glasses, specific things. At the time, it was little research because, you know, as a kid, you don't know what the work is. You just do what you can to imitate. And then how did that evolve? So after I graduated and joining the military and then getting out of the military, transitioning. I started going to school in downtown San Diego. It was like the method. A lot of personal stuff that you're going through, bring it to the work. Don't pretend to have something in your hand, have the prop. Everything is real. Like everything is visceral. I was like, there's still something missing. It feels like, and then I decided to apply for Cal State Long Beach for their undergrad. I was showing a bunch of technique that I didn't have while I was doing film, while I was doing stage, like Stanislavski and Meisner technique. And Meisner is primarily focused on just breathing in your partner and creating a genuine connection. And that was just a scratch of that. And then with Stanislavski, it was a lot of physical gestures, physical things. How do you get yourself into an imaginary circumstance almost as if it's real. That's challenging. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then later, that's when I found myself at Yale. My teacher said, hey, you should apply for grad school. And I said, no, I don't want to go to grad school. I want to go to LA. I want to start doing the Hollywood thing, feel the struggle, do the thing, kind of earn my marks. I guess I had like a military mindset of like, I want to just work as hard as I possibly can. And he was like, I think grad school would serve you. And so I applied to Yale very last minute with a couple of monologues and I got in. A big book that helped me before auditioning actually was a book called Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And that book really helped me get out of my head and into like a very Zen focused place, strangely. I was just like, hey, I'm just going to go in the room. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be who I am. And hopefully that's enough. Do you remember what that monologue was like? Oh yeah, for sure. It was Levy from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and King Henry V. And then another one called Black Thing by Atu. I'll, I'll give you a little bit, but it's, you know what your problem is? Lack of ambition. You're not seeing the bigger picture here, my friend. This isn't about one white chick. This is about all the white chicks. This is God saying, go forth my son and plunder the white man's natural resources. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to us. I mean, look at you, you mandingo motherfucker. How are you not fucking every minute of the day? I mean, I would fuck you. And not in a gay way, in like a, a prison way. Yeah, if we were in prison, I would be fucking the shit out of you. So it, it was a very lighthearted, fun <laughs> You have monologue. to be pretty confident to be able to say all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think there was just, there's such a drive in me to want to do it ever since I was young. And then being able to give myself permission to actually pursue it felt like, well, there's no reason for me to not feel confident doing this thing that I always wanted to do. And do you think that your military mindset played into that? Hmm. I would say so. I'm definitely thankful for the military and the aspect of the discipline that it gave me, the way I look at the work. This isn't easy because it's an emotional drain, but it's easy for me to do what I love. So I think it gave me that freedom of like, okay, well, this isn't a, a chore. What is exhausting is just finding the emotional connection to the words. It sounds like you still love it. Oh yeah. I am blessed enough to be in grad school and only having only three years of experience technically. And because I was coming in almost like a baby, I was like, I could do anything. Oh yeah. Like, this is so fun. Like, and I'm so thankful for my privileged place of cool. I got set up with a nice piece of training coming straight out of the military into the work. It doesn't sound like your acting was too easy. No, I think what I realized is that acting feels harder than the military. All that stuff was muscling. Now with acting, it's how do I do this and allow the audience in <laughs> while allowing myself to be and fall apart. Okay. You said something that I just wrote down. You said, how do you allow yourself to bend? Another thing that you had mentioned that I remember is you said when you were at Gitmo, speaking to the prisoners made you question your faith. Yes. So I feel like that's bending. Yeah. And that I think has always been something that is, I've always been in pursuit of is truth. The flexibility that I had while in the military to see someone, a detainee, and go, well, this person is my brother, regardless of what religion or side they're fighting. I'm trying to figure out me. They're trying to figure out them in these boxes that society has given us. And now, you know, their boxes are way more extreme than mine's. My mind was blown. I was like, oh, wait a minute. How are you keeping your faith? How are you doing this? Like, 
I'm losing my my crap in America because of debt, you know, but you're like waiting for someone to transfer a new roll of toilet paper to you, you know, as a Christian man, because I am a Christian man, it was it was very much like, wait a minute, what is faith? What is that connected to and allowed me to go deeper into my beliefs, not replace but go deeper and which is what you heard when i was in a clubhouse of the root is jewish jesus was jewish what are we fighting for what are we arguing for what are we trying to be right about which turned into a whole bunch of questions of why a long journey of why and now i'm trying to get away from that (laughs) were you allowed to have conversations with the detainees Yes and no. So there's this thing that they say, do not be compromised. And this is general military stuff. You don't want to be compromised in a sense of, you know, you have a job to do. And I think every person who does law enforcement or anything like that is you're trying to stay open and sympathetic, but also they train you in a way that is, well, focus, you know, focus because you never know what might be around the corner and complacency is the killer. There was a huge, huge, huge push of if the conversations happen, then they're quick. We wear badge numbers, not names. But I I would go in and I I just couldn't, I couldn't not have a conversation if someone wanted a conversation. Most of the time it wasn't me that was starting the conversations. But my first shift, I think it was about week two, there was a detainee and he's like, I'm a rapper, I'm a rapper. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm a rapper too, you know? And he's like, no, you're not a rapper. And then I I started quoting uh, Black Eyed Peas to him and he thought I, it was my lyrics. And I, you know, it just, it's those moments to me that mean so much. The pursuit of humanity, the pursuit of connection and truth and seeing behind the veil Wow, that is so fascinating. They are relating to you and you're having like an emotional connection with them and then the walls go away. Yeah, I mean, I think that my training, my acting training started in the military. I also was able to find empathy within that. And I'm hoping I left something, you know, the people I got to talk to definitely left something in me. I love that you had a ukulele. That's not something that I would expect. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a baritone ukulele. I started playing the ukulele on my first deployment. I have one over in the corner over there. Oh, my God, get it. (laughs) I actually bought two of my kids' ukuleles. They are trying to teach themselves on YouTube, though. YouTube is, that's where I graduated from with the ukulele. (laughs) You'll have to send me some good teachers if you know any. I got you. First song I would suggest to everyone is Jason Mraz, I'm Yours. I love that song. Pretty simple song. Can you play that? Yeah, I can. Let me get it. Okay, cool. Here we go. Ooh. It's been a while. (laughs) Yeah. So I would write originals and play covers whenever I had the chance to, just to kind of pass the time and entertain <laughs> such hardened men. <laughs> like It was just so nice sometimes to see people like come out of themselves instead of, you know, I've been to Iraq or Afghan. It was like, well, it doesn't matter. Music transcends all of it. So <laughs> That's really beautiful. I love that. I saw you perform too, right in Barcelona? Yeah, in Barcelona. I was I was in Spain. And when I was at 
Canterbury, Kent. I was going through a lot of emotional stuff and I had wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Paris. I wanted to go to as many countries as I could while I was out there, but I only got to go to Spain. We were walking around, we were doing the tour and I saw open mic and I was like, I want to do that. And the tour guy's like, we're about to leave in like 10 minutes. And I was like, well, what bar are you going to be at? I'll see you there because I've got to do this. And so like I was able to fulfill a little tiny dream even if it was on a small stage with a small crowd. And boy, was it hot, (laughs) but so fun. And I was so thankful for it. But you jammed out and you were in front of a crowd. Oh yeah. And it was fun. That was, that was definitely a highlight of my year. And I look for those opportunities now. Where can I find the opportunity to get out of my element uh, and just be uncomfortable? On the Better Call Daddy show. (laughs) Exactly. There it is. Right? Like, this is totally on the fly, out of your element. Exactly. That's kind of what Clubhouse was when we met at Clubhouse. I was like, this is out of my element. I'm not used to this. I'm I'm trying to listen more. I'm trying to talk less. And so, like, being able to talk about my journey, like, is definitely like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> you want to, like, do some on the fly, better call daddy jam? I can do an original. Close enough to lift this fragile speech Far before your feet don't let go Soft enough to open fragile minds Off and intertwine, take it slow Cause your eyes would drive before the next wave comes And those highs would drift between the morning sun So don't cry, blue skies That's all I got. I can't remember the rest. (laughs) You have a beautiful voice. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Did anybody ever sing with you? And does your sister want to perform with you? Oh, I mean, I started in the choir. So me and my sister started in the choir as well, like gospel choir when we were younger. And then as I got older, coming back from my deployment and transition as an actor, that's where I started as a musician. And I was working with the producer back and forth and just couldn't hack how to do the whole recording artist thing. My sister is now in the fashion. She's dealing with that grind, which is such a tough grind. What was your all's childhood like? It's interesting because I think about this all the time, like, you know, how creative me and my little sister are. My mother was a single parent. My dad was definitely around and he was super supportive. So whenever I would say stuff like, I want to try river dancing, my mom was like, cool, that's weird, but cool, let's do it. You know, (laughs) that's not something that people of color do, but sure, whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. Never got to river dance, but she put me into Taekwondo. She definitely allowed us to let our weird flag fly. I was a very imaginative kid. Having ADHD, I needed somewhere to put that energy. So a lot of the time, it was nice to meet new people and think of new ideas and imagine that I was in this world that I was not. So I think because she was a single mother and she was working so hard, she allowed us to kind of run free. But it seems like you weren't into troublesome things. No, 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 no. I was, I mean, I had a moment, especially in my like skater phase of being like, 
the bad kid with my cousin and his gang. But um, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Where I was living, there was like a couple gangs around us. We were kind of on the border of three. I think what happens, especially with joining a gang for me and being such a weird kid, like I wasn't the typical gang member or whatever, it kind of felt like protection. So in middle school, I was teased. And knowing that my cousin was in and knowing that like there was a family kind of history of it, it felt comforting to know, well, I have this behind me. And that kind of was the first, I guess, phase, if you want to call it, of hardening or socialization that I felt, which was cool. I do this. I do these things. I have this support group. But luckily, it was not like a hard transitioning to get out. My cousin saw something in me. He knew that my mom was not about it. My dad came down. He used to be a crip in LA. He punched me in the chest. He's like, nah, you're not gonna, you're not doing that. And I was like, all right, pops. <laughs> he was like, I don't want that for you. My cousin was like, I don't want that for you. So how about you just play football? And that's how I started playing sports. Wait, your dad was in the crib. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, like you just totally glazed over well, that. It's kind of like the same thing with me. I think my dad also on a very low key level was just as weird as I am, but he found himself in these circumstances and with these groups of people and they brought him in, you know, and that's what happens is they're like, oh, well, you're hanging out with us all the time. You are now this. So he kind of was a crip at that time and a bodybuilder, just like he was very, very young and doing his thing. He grew up with that. And so he would tell me all the time, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're not going to get into drugs, no gangs, no this. So when he found out that I was in a gang, he was like, nope, I got to, I got to nip that in the bud before everything else follows. So I'm very thankful for him. Was he able to pull himself out? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think it's not like what you see on TV, at least for us. It wasn't like something that was like, you die by the blade, live by the blade. It was kind of like, well, you're in these neighborhoods, you know, and some people know if you're really about it and it's what you want to do, then it becomes one of those, you die by the blade, live by the blade. I think a part of me wanted to be like that, which is probably why I joined the biggest gang in America, like the army, like there's got to be a correlation there. I just didn't feel like it was something that was that deep. I had joined because I thought it was progression. And then I realized, well, no, you guys are all thinking the same way. And I want to progress kind of like I wish I was like a part of the Black Panther Party or something when I was younger, but I was not. I didn't have that neighborhood. I didn't grow up in that. Well, you did play Malcolm X. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little bit of it. <laughs> wow. What does your dad think like of your path? He's so proud of me. I was the first one to be pursuing my master's. That's for sure. Second one in the military, first one in the army. I think there's only three of us or five of us that have like a bachelor's in my family. My father's definitely been proud of me. And there's moments where he's like, I don't quite understand all of it because I've never been there. But like, I can only imagine. So I can see that he's definitely in a place of thankfulness of how he raised us. And I, I always tell him how thankful I am that he allowed me to be as weird as I am. Because, you know, a lot of people don't have that privilege which is something that I, I would hope and pray that I can give back through my art. If you need to talk about these things that you're trying to assess through, these are things that we can talk about. And hopefully whatever I'm bringing to the table allows you to get through them easier because you're going to go through them. That's, that's inevitable. Do you feel like you were able to embrace your weirdness in the army? No, 
no for sure no i was kind of like a troubled child in the army too <laughs> like you know the ukulele thing would be like beasley stop playing the ukulele like beasley why are you like this beasley your face isn't shaven and i'm like yeah i'm not doing it you know i was a, <laughs> I was a big big rebel you know i was like what's up with these customs what's up with these rules like this is a plague we're all socialized why do why can't we do it our way like instead of the way why is there a way you know i was a big 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 rebel and it did not serve me for four years which is probably why i hit a breaking point of i need to be somewhere where i can question these things yeah talk to me about the breaking point you know the deployment having that, that moment of seeing eye to eye and you just realize well i think differently and not even to glorify myself nor to make myself this prolific thing but I think people go through this moment of like, well, what am I doing this nine to five for? What am I doing this X, Y, and Z for? Why am I playing husband when I don't even know if that's what I wanted to play? You know, like, why can't I think outside the box? I kind of joined in naivete where I was like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to deploy. Hopefully I can have a conversation with the enemy. And then you realize, well, no, you're just a pawn. When I was there, it became a mission for me to connect as deeply as I could with the enemy or even with my brothers, where it was just like, how can I show you that I'm not the same? Maybe it's a little self-righteous, but it kind of helped me through the last bit of my time there. I am kind of jealous you got to do that. <laughs> like, who were you able to connect deeply with like that? You know, and I, I don't know. That's the thing. I think that that's what you learn about acting too. You never really know if you affected anybody and then it kind of goes away that you have to be a savior or that you have to be the guy or anything like that. But I'm hoping that I did and I'm praying that I did. And even if it's subconscious, I'm praying that everyone is doing that. You had to have made a dent for someone. I guess I'm trying not to toot the horn, but I, I know that there's, you know, my best friend, Mike, I love him to death and he reaches out to me and he's like man i miss those days that we could play the ukulele in a humvee after doing a long shift and other people who are like man thank you for being a light you deserve to be going to grad school so there's those moments that definitely have have allowed me to go cool i made i made something happen while i was there i think it's less about trying to be the guy now for me and more of how can i just be and also be affected by other people. That's where the deeper connection comes from. I, I feel I like I'm being affected by you right now. And like, <laughs> I want you to like achieve your biggest freaking dreams. What are they? It's so strange as an artist. I'll say what the, the surface level stuff is, right? Oh, I want the Oscar and I want the Emmy and I want the EGOT. I want the Emmy, the Oscar, the Grammy, the Tony. Give it to me all, you know, like <laughs> give me every award and let me make sure that I make an impression and is, I'm seen as a transformational actor. But then it's like, but when I die, I don't, I don't go with those things. The deeper gaping hole, at least for me now, is just how can I ring some truth? Like, how can I get vulnerable? How can I get transparent in those experiences rather than hopefully the normal person sees my stuff and goes, I love that. Those stories are more important to me than trying to work with the best actors now. I think that that's going to come. I have faith that that's gonna come. I really wanna be around the people and hopefully artists and actors who can take the mask off. Weren't you just in a play? 
I was in a play. Yes, <laughs> tell me about it. I was in a play called Harlem Duet. It will be streamed. And it's by D. Jeanette Sears, a Canadian playwright, which is seeing Othello through the eyes of a Black woman. Now, if you're not familiar with Othello, those who are listening, Othello is a Moor who pretty much in England, who's like a Black man who's moving up the ranks and is marrying a white woman. And at the end, unfortunately, he, through his jealousy, he kills his lover which a lot of us people of color feel like that's problematic. So I think what D. Jeanette was trying to do is take that story back and kind of write about Othello before he became the Othello we know in Shakespearean time. It's a conversation between his ex-wife, Billy, who is played by Danielle Bunch, an amazing actor. The conversation of why are you leaving me for this white girl? Why are you trying to be closer or the proximity to whiteness like why not stay in Harlem you're you're a professor at Columbia now and my character is like dude chill out this is the way of the world like either get with it or lose yourself and the other project on a lighter note is called the history of joy social movement by Gil Soltu a poet and it's kind of this poetic conversation between two characters about whose side is right and they're kind of on the opposite side, almost like BLM and like what we've been kind of going through, through this whole thing with Trump and, you know, this just weird four years. And I think what he's trying to say in that production is, could we just agree to disagree or disagree to agree and have fun doing it without it being a place of cancellation, but a place of like dialogue? Wouldn't that be nice? Ooh, man. <laughs> it sounds like you connected to both pieces. For sure. I think whenever you're doing a project, you always walk away with something, you learn something. And that's the one thing that I'm thankful about my career is I, I consider myself a historian slash scientist, less than an actor now. And hopefully it opens up dialogue and conversation that is less surface level and more deep. That's why you're at Yale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Is there anything that you would like to ask my daddy? I don't know. I <laughs> Are you still considering researching Judaism more? I know that you said yes, that. That would be a lovely conversation. Honestly, this is something that, like I said, I have Chazed on my arm. That's this so is, cool. Yeah, <laughs> this is a deep search for me. I've kind of come to a place of peace with at least the journey of my spirituality. But just understanding it, that where did that moment happen where Christianity and Judaism, like the separation and why there isn't a conversation happening around it that actually is moving us forward, as well as every other opposing ideology within that, you know, like Muslim to Christian, to Muslim to Buddhism. I guess the question would be like, you know, how has that journey been and where do you start? You know, I know a lot of the times it gets pointed to the rabbi for when I'm in the rooms, but I, I think it's just uh, history of it all really excites me and allows me to feel like I can begin that journey. What made you choose chesed to put that on your arm? I was trying to find a word at the time, way before I deployed, that was all encompassing and had something to do with love and kindness and mercy and, and just like really seeing the humanity of it all and really trying to figure out the relationship between me and God. I had always had this deep connection that like Jesus, God were my like homies. I never seen them as like these dad figures. And I would even argue sometimes in church because I was that kid who liked to argue that, you know, God changes his mind. Look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, <laughs> like, that kind of motivated me towards this where uh, Chizid 
because it felt so resonant. It felt like compassionate. It felt like, hey, I'm listening and I'm also shifting with you. I'm not just this pillar of stubbornness that I think a lot of people think God is, but like almost this this flowing nonlinear energy that is shifting with you, for you, and at you in a loving way. At least that's the connection to the tattoo. I will say that I I believe that chesed can change the world and yes. <laughs> that the world needs more of it. So exactly. very apropos. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, I have really enjoyed connecting with you. Thank you for being so open to answering all of my questions. Of course, of and course. I like now totally want to follow your journey. So <laughs> please send me when that play is available for streaming yes, the, or anything else that I can share. Yeah, please. So it's going to be on CoronadoPlayhouse.com or .org, one of those. And it's Harlem Duet. And if you check out my Instagram at Kai Lamont, there should be a link in the bio or somewhere. If not in the bio, I'll put it in the bio and it will be streaming on the 19th, March 19th till April 18th. That is so exciting. Yeah. I'll just put links in bios as it changes and shifts. I hope that you can just continue to shine your weirdness at Yale. <laughs> and like, I feel like you're so unique and you have so much talent. I mean, it's truly incredible. I feel like also you've really like discovered at a young age that you should be okay with who you are. And I think that that's really beautiful because yeah. it took me a lot longer to discover that and stay with that. Because that will make you successful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I think it's beautiful. Even like this podcast that you're doing, Better Call Daddy, like those are things that are coming out of, like I said, energy begets energy, you know, and you're, you're doing the thing and bringing amazing people on to have a conversation. Sometimes it takes 40 minutes to get to like, you know. The nitty gritty. Yeah. The nitty gritty. <laughs> but you can edit it down and like, exactly. everybody has the nitty gritty and I love getting to it. Yeah. And see, that's what I love about past the storytelling. Everybody has this thing, story to tell. And that is so beautiful. That's where I get most of my acting inspiration. That's just the most authentic you can get. Thank you so much. You have a blessed one. You too. So daddy, what did you think? Very interesting fellow. He has a beautiful voice. He has good enthusiasm for life. But what he has also is what we've talked about before. He has a yearning to see things from more than one side. He wants to not only represent what he's thinking, but more interesting enough, he really wants to hear other people's ideas, other people's feelings and thoughts. And he actually puts himself in their shoes so he can feel how they feel under those circumstances. It's called building your wisdom rating. It's where he wants to be able to understand everything from all points of view. He joins the army because he wanted to be in a gang. But instead of being in a bad gang, he wanted to be and feel like he was part of a movement. And that's one of the reasons why he joined the army. It gave him the opportunity also to learn and develop himself, to have discipline and see how having structure is all about. And don't we need that in our lives as well? He was inspired by his sister when she was acting or playing a part. 
he was just fascinated with that and said, well, you know, I've always wanted to do that too. He, again, keeps putting himself into other people's circumstances and he learns to shine that way. And he then took his acting abilities, his singing abilities to a higher level. So he has a lot of natural ability, but he thinks outside of the box and wants to be part of something bigger than himself. I absolutely loved his voice. It was beautiful. And I like how he just started doing a little song and rendition for you. And it's uh, he's working on it. Probably it sounded a little bit better than my song that I had written. huh? <laughs> he has soul. I felt that music. Yeah, it was pretty good. How did you like that he said he got a tattoo of the word chesed, which is kindness, and he wanted it to go below skin deep? Very interesting that he picked that. And maybe that's to give himself a reminder that that's what he's all about deep down, is that he would like to show kindness to the world and hope that other people will catch on to his charisma of kindness. He's a special person. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 